Hoosier One video here. 7.6 billion. Now that's a big number. That's how many people there are on Earth. In the U.S. alone, estimates say that out of 328 million, there are nearly 246 million lost souls, men, women, boys, and girls that don't know Jesus. Those numbers seem big, but what if we were to focus on the number one? The Bible tells us that heaven rejoices every time one person comes to know Jesus. What if we were to focus on the daily conversations, those everyday meaningful interactions for Christ that can truly make an eternal difference in someone's life? We can reach our nation with the gospel. We can reach the millions. We can reach our friends and family and neighbors by starting with one. Who's your one? Um, on, if you were not here this morning, if you're on the far left of a pew, you should have one of these, a whole package of them, or at least one or two of them, where they'll be around you. You'll want to, if you don't have one, you want to make sure you grab one, and, or before you leave, you don't have to grab it now, but this is our commitment card we're making to identify one person for you to begin praying with. Now, next week, in the morning service, we'll start, and we'll make our commitments. We'll have a big bucket that you'll be able to uh, drop them in and start praying. So make sure you have, if you need another one tonight, you want to make sure you certainly you have those. Also, you need to pull out your sermon inserts here. We are in Luke chapter 22, so open up your Bibles. We're going to see what the scriptures say. We have been going through the book of Luke for the past year and a half, and now we're on <laughs> chapter 22. We're, we've, I've really picked it up to make uh, faster progress with that. We're going to be talking about Tonight, really, we're going to get into specifics of the Lord's Supper, and um, we're going to look at the leading up to that. Basically, Jesus was, um, uh, he was not liked. They were trying to kill him, and he made preparations, and he explained the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is important, and it's important because Jesus told us that we need to do it in remembrance of him. So when we take the Lord's Supper very casually, or we just refuse to take it, or we don't want to take it, we're not honoring Jesus's words. Here at Broadway Baptist Church, we do the Lord's Supper six times a year. Now, tonight we'll have a business meeting. We'll be uh, voting on starting a second service. Ray and I were talking about this morning. It will make it a little more tricky because we'll have a Lord's Supper at 9 o'clock and then we'll have another one at 11.09. So that will be a, Ray was talking about, it's going to be such a fast turnaround. He needs to have like a second little card out there for the for round two to bring it out for the next service. I already have it all pre-made. So pull out your white piece of paper here while you're turning your Bibles. I want to bring attention to something. There's a weightiness here. I want to re follow along here with this because when we read these passages here about the Lord's Supper and about what it means, I think a lot of times was for Baptists. What we typically do, we can really uh, dole down the Lord's Supper in many ways baptism too because we have this attitude as, well, that doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. The Lord's Supper doesn't save you. So, big deal. Well, if, if that was the case, then Jesus would not have told us to do this in remembrance of me. It's a command of Jesus. And we're actually going to see here, um, also, in, we're going to turn later on <coughs> to John chapter 13. There's one command we as uh, at least Southern Baptists are not following, and that's foot washing. So we're going to see that also. Uh, the weightiness of the Lord's Supper. Look at this. It is sinful to observe the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I'm towards the bottom. The Lord's Supper is not sitting around your TV eating a bagel and drinking Coke. That's not the Lord's Supper and watching Kentucky basketball. And the Bible warns us about 
not taking it very serious, the Lord's Supper. If it's just some casual meal, that is not remembering the cost that Jesus paid on the cross when he died. So when we take it, it's a very sacred moment in our church like it was this morning. Not only that, the Lord's Supper was a time of examination. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus for 30 silver coins, he ate the piece of the bread, and the Bible says in John chapter 13 that Satan entered him. It was at that point that Satan entered into Judas. In fact, go ahead, keep your finger here in uh, um, Luke chapter um, 22. Go ahead and turn over to John chapter 13, because I want to show you this. Did anybody here grow up in a free will Baptist church? Free will Baptist. One, two, three. All right. What do free will Baptists do that Southern Baptists do not do? Foot washing. That's right. There is a free will Baptist church. I've driven by it here. Anyway, it's somewhere around here. I have. Is it Clay's Mill Road? It's got to be on Clay's Mill. Every church is on Clay's Mill. On the north side of town, so, so I drove by and I saw that. What is, if we were a free will Baptist church, at every Lord's Supper, not only would you have the bread, have the wine or grape juice, then immediately the deacons would wash, you would go into it, you would come up front, you would have like a, a line, and you would come forward, and the deacons would wash your feet. I mean, the, and they have a, buckets they already prepared, and they're a little... Little benches, you sit down and they wash your feet. That's how it is. It was, I'm sure that was how it was with, uh, with you growing up in a free will Baptist. So I want to tell you where they got that from. That comes out of the uh, Gospel of John. John chapter 13, verse 14. Look what the Bible says here. Um, or look at verse 12. John 13, 12 says, When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. If, if, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus told us to wash one another's feet. I want to tell you, and listen, I'm a diehard Southern Baptist. I grew up my whole life. Well, except for the first five, six years, I was in a Presbyterian church. But until <clears throat> my parents joined Shades Mountain Baptist Church there, I have seen foot washing one time in a Southern Baptist church, and that was in the youth group. For whatever reason, we're not following that command because Jesus told us to wash one another's feet. I want to tell you why that's important. We wash, and he did this in the context of the Lord's Supper. This is right after the Supper. They served the Lord's Supper, the elements, and then he got down, got his towel, washed their feet. And that's important, Broadway Baptist Church, because it's a sign of humility and servanthood. I'm willing to get down on my knees, to get on the ground, and wash feet to show to you what it's like serving one another. So that is, um, we, if we were a free will Baptist church this morning, right after Lord's Supper, you would have had, basically the way you end the service is you come through and get your foot washing, uh, sing a closing song. So that is certainly, that's one of the difference between free will Baptists and Southern Baptist churches. Flip back in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22. I want to bring attention here to what's going on. Jesus is, this is his last week. This is the week leading up to his crucifixion. And this event that we're going to see here is taking place on Thursday. So the next day he will be on a cross. The festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way 
to put him to death because they were afraid of the people. I think that's interesting. The Bible says they were afraid of the people. What that means is they weren't afraid of the people killing them or afraid of the people um, doing anything to them. They were afraid that the people would believe in him and start following him and accepting him as the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, their influence would decline. That was the fear. Their fear was, I'm going to lose my following. Everybody's now going to follow Jesus. That was what their, their fear certainly was. Look what it says here. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and temple police how he could handle him, hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver. That was 30 silver coins. That's how much Jesus was worth. So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them when the crowd was not present. And that's why he had to betray Jesus at night when the crowd was gone there at the Garden of Gethsemane right outside of Jerusalem. Now look right here about this Passover. So now we're going to, and in a little bit also, we're going to flip over to Exodus and we're going to explain what is this Passover, what's going on. Then the day of unleavened bread came. When the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, and this was done on Thursday, Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them. When you enter, enter a city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So there was this guest house with a large room that Jesus, obviously, by being divine and knowing the future, was able to orchestrate this happening so him and his disciples could celebrate the Passover right there. And that's why we call it the upper room. So they went and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover there. Many of you ask, so what is the Passover? And what it is, is the Passover is remembering the tenth plague. The tenth plague is the death of the firstborn son in Egypt. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the ten plagues. In fact, this coming week, we start the Passover, plague number ten. Turn in your Bibles, keep your finger here in Luke chapter 22, turn to Exodus chapter 12. Here is the Passover. This is important because the Bible tells us to remember the Passover. And listen, if Jesus remembered the Passover and he was crucified on the Passover, we as Bible-believing Christians today in 2019, we need to know what the Passover is. This is important because when we come Easter next month, Jesus was the Passover lamb. He was the offering that was being made. Well, many of the obviously Jewish folks missed it, but there was very important those who do, did get it, understood what was, what was taking place. That's why he's called the Lamb of God. So turn in your Bible here to Exodus chapter 12, verse 17. Look what the Bible says. You are to observe the festival of unleavened bread, because on this very day I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. We are told by the Lord that we must observe the unleavened bread. What it is, Passover and the unleavened bread are actually two separate events that just go back to back. 
Passover occurred right there. The Passover meal was on that Thursday evening. So Passover would be on that Friday. And then the next day starts the week long, a week of unleavened bread. And that's remembering the time they were wandering and uh, leaving and going into the wilderness. So that's, it's our time of remembrance of their 40 years in the wilderness. And it's also a time of that, that God took care of the Israelites. And it's also a time of remembering how God basically passed over the Hebrews' children's or Hebrew families' homes and their children didn't die. Here's what happened. Look, skip down to verse 26. Exodus 12, 26. It says right here, When your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshipped. I think it's real important that Jewish folks in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, are told what to teach their children about why they observe these. Uh, when we ha- hear this word Passover, we need to understand this all ties in with Exodus chapter 12 in the 10th plague. Now skip down, look at verse 29. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who's in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up. Look at this. He, along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, <clears throat> and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from among my people, both of you, the Israelites, and go. Worship the Lord as you've said. Take even your flocks and your herds if you've asked and leave and also bless me. That is how God delivered the Hebrew folks from slavery in Egypt. All the firstborn males were dead in Egypt. But none of the Hebrews, the Israelites, God passed over. Why? Because they took the blood of a lamb and they painted, they took the blood, I know it sounds gruesome, they painted their door frames and their doors and literally that death angel was sent by the Lord, passed over the Hebrews, the Jews' house and killed the Egyptians. That's why it's called the Passover. And it's significant for us. I want, and here's, this is why, so don't miss this. When we stand before God in judgment, we get the Passover. Why? Why? Remember the cup we took this morning? That's the blood of Jesus. Our life has the blood, just like at the Passover, that door was painted with a lamb's blood. All the Hebrew homes had it. And the death angel passed over. When you're saved... You're part of the Passover, meaning you don't die an eternal death and go to hell if you're saved. So the blood of Jesus, guys, this is why Jesus died on the Passover. He is the lamb. He is the blood that saves us. That's the, in the, uh, the second coming when Jesus comes back again. 
If someone's not saved, they're doomed. Us for saved, we're passed over because we have the blood of Jesus and he has forgiven us. It's so important. Listen, we need to, we need to know that. You need to understand. So when we sit around thinking, why on earth are we taking the Lord's Supper? This is so silly. This is grape juice. Well, it's grape juice. No, you're taking the Passover blood of the Lamb from Exodus chapter 12. That saved all the Hebrew people when the death angel passed over. And now that blood is Jesus' blood as the Messiah. That is the rich history of understanding, tying in what we see from Exodus chapter 12 being fulfilled in Luke chapter 22. All right, back to Luke chapter 22. Look here in your scriptures. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus longed to have this meal because he understood what was, what was, being, what was occurring here. No longer do we have to put blood on our doors or in our doorposts when the death angel passes over. We don't have to do that for salvation. Jesus is saying, I'm instituting a new covenant. This is a new way that you're going to be saved. And the new covenant is the salvation through Jesus, through his blood. So he's been longing for this. Verse 16. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' last meal. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes first. He picked up the cup first. Now this morning, we took the bread first, but here in this example, he took the cup. And he said here, <clears throat> In, or move on here, verse 19. And he, then he took the bread and gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Now look at this. Do this in remembrance of me. We are commanded by the Lord to observe the Lord's Supper. Why? Because Jesus was our Passover lamb. Just as Exodus chapter 12, verse 19, is commanded to the Jewish folks in the Old Testament to remember the Passover. We are commanded to remember the Lord's Supper. So in many ways, the Lord's Supper, this is our new covenant that we are identifying with Christ. Just like Passover, of all the religious festivals in the Old Testament, Passover was the most important one. Because that's how God saved the Jewish folks out of slavery and bondage. That's their most important event in the Old Testament for them. Parting of the Red Sea, going out in the wilderness, and God preparing them for the promised land. Our most important event is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we observe that with the Lord's Supper. Keep going here in your Bible. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So here we are. He's ushering in this new covenant. A covenant is a promise from God. Look, what that means is, it's a promise that God is making with humanity. Oh, another covenant in the Bible is after Noah got off the ark. God made a covenant with Noah that he never again would flood the earth. 
So in many ways, we don't need an ark up in Williamstown because we're, even if there is a flood, we know the world, according to the Bible, is not going to flood again. Now, that's a museum one, but we don't need to be building a big boat anticipating a flood because the Bible's told us that's when we have the promise of the rainbow that God gave to remind us of God's covenant that he made. So we know that this new covenant here is that the way of salvation is through Christ. And moving along here, it says, But look, verse 21, The hand of the one betraying me is at the dinner table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they begin to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. And I think what we see here is the first Lord's Supper, we picture this spiritual event that was so holy and sacred. And the truth is, it ended with an argument. These guys are sitting here thinking, well, who's going to be the betrayer? It's certainly not me. And I think they're doing that. Why would they be doing that? They're doing it out of pride. They have a sense of arrogance thinking, I'm the greatest. In other account of Lord's Supper, they're really fighting about who's going to sit closest to Jesus. Who's the greatest person? <clears throat> Y'all know I'm a newspaper reader. You know Billy Graham. I've once heard him say, this is before internet, he said all his sermons, he'd have a Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And the reason why he's doing is he's saying, here's what the Bible says and here's what the newspaper says, because that was what you had for current events. And he was applying scripture to current day. In our living section, this morning's newspaper, Paul Prather, who's a pastor out, uh, outside from here, he wrote an article that um, there's a good chance that your minister is really an egomaniac. That's me. In my 20s, I started, he's saying this, out in ministry. An old preacher once gave me this advice. Always watch yourselves around women and money. <laughs> you know, I actually had someone else. One. Those are two things that get preachers in trouble. Women and money. These two temptations ruin more ministers than all the other temptations put together. I admired this fellow, and rightly so, for he was wise. I've tried to take his advice to heart. But as I've aged, I'm now older than he was when he issued this warning. I've decided that he was mistaken somewhat. Certainly a lot of preachers have been derailed by affairs and dipping into the coffers. However, listen to this. The most dangerous temptation of all, the besetting sin of the profession, isn't either of these. The besetting sin of ministry is pride. Phrased slightly differently, it's ego run amok. Now, he then goes on and talk about pride. <clears throat> the problem with pride is in the religion business, because it's not just ministers who suffer from pride. If you were a disciple, and you got to experience the Lord's Supper right there with Jesus, and then Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, you witnessed the miracles of the early church, you witnessed the coming of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming upon, upon folks, there's a temptation when God is working in your life, when you're seeing the Lord do great things, there's this temptation that occurs. God chose me. He couldn't do it without me. 
God, I'm fortunate that I'm the one that got to do this. Lord, you need me. Your Sunday school class needs me. Your, the church needs me. And there's this strain of sin that runs through in religious people that is very dangerous. In church, what it means is God loves me and He needs me more maybe than others. And you never voice it publicly like that. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, I'm so glad I'm not going to have my name on here being prayed for. I'm so glad that I've got my ticket to heaven punched and I know where I'm going. I'm so glad I'm not like these other heathens that are driving by right now. Lord, I'm a cut above the rest. That is dangerous thinking. And what happens is, Jesus goes on, and we're going to see this later on. There's a man sitting, this is next Sunday night's ahead, at this table at the Lord's Supper. One betrays him. At this Lord's Supper, I want you to remember, we got 12 disciples. Satan enters Judas at the Lord's Supper table, in John's account, right there. And one man named Peter is telling Jesus that, hey, I will never deny you. In fact, I'm going to go die for you. Even when Jesus is telling him, says, no, Peter, you will deny me. And he had Satan get behind me because the devil was speaking through him. Peter was sitting at that table prideful. Judas was sitting at that same table next to Jesus, and he wasn't even a believer. The danger of the Lord's Supper is right there. Two of the the 12 men had massive sin problems. One was lost, and the other one was filled with pride. So he lied three times about who Jesus was. Now, when we see the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ reminds us that we don't deserve a spot at the table. We should be lost. That Passover lamb or the Passover death angel, when he, co- when he comes, we didn't deserve to have the blood on our door and around our doorpost. When we got saved, by the grace of God, someone either took us to church or they told us about Jesus and we responded in faith and repentance. Or we would have been just like the Egyptians that every firstborn male died and went to hell. The Lord's Supper reminds us, as Christians, we need to examine ourselves and say, is there any sin in my life? And that's sins of attitude. And those are the most dangerous sin in many believers' life. And the sin of attitude is when you have a sense of arrogance of I know best, God loves me more, I'm part of the chosen one, I know right right and what's wrong. And it will destroy you spiritually. It did it to Peter and the other guy here, Judas, he's selling Jesus. He wanted money and one just wanted fame, even when Jesus is telling him no. So when we observe the Lord's Supper, it's a total time to say, God, is there any sin in my life? 
that I need to get right with you. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray tonight, as we close with our invitation, if there's anyone here that maybe from this morning when we had the Lord's Supper, that there's sins of attitude, there's sins of pridefulness, or maybe there's sins of just desires of worldly wealth that Judas had. Lord, purify and cleanse us that and help us see the Passover lamb. Lord, without your blood, we are nothing. Lord, I thank you that there's blood. The lamb's blood is on our door and on our doorpost. Jesus, I pray tonight that during this invitation, if there's anybody that you've called and equipped to respond to the gospel, we will slip out of the pew and make it public. We give you this invitation this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close our worship service with an invitation. We close every service with an invitation, and I'll be standing down front waiting for you to respond. So Chris is going to lead us in a song. Let's stand together, and we're going to sing our invitation while I stand down front. <laughs>